Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you in part by Growmark FS. For over 95 years, we've led the game. Power, we restored it. Protection, we reinvented it. Record yields, we redefined it. If there's one thing we know at FS, it's that just because something hasn't been done doesn't mean it can't be done. We're never satisfied unless we take your farming operation to the next level. Run your equipment at peak efficiency and bust the bins this season. Visit fssystem.com. The views and opinions of this program are those of the host, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, we saw wheat and corn trade their way higher on Tuesday, while the soybean trade was under pressure. Kind of a flip from Monday's action. We're going to talk about it more here today on Market Talk. Thanks for joining us on the program. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Great to have you along for the conversation about the markets and issues impacting rural America. Yeah, kind of a mixed bag on the day Tuesday. Really just a flip from what we saw on Monday's trade. So we gave back some of the gains in soybeans and we took some of the, uh, we got back some of what we lost in wheat trade and corn, largely just kind of caught in the middle again. Mixed bag in livestock. We're watching uh, different economic data out this week and more. We're going to talk about all of that coming up here. Get a uh, technical discussion on the program today with Brian Split from agmarket.net. He'll join us later in the show to provide his thoughts and market analysis for us here. We'll go more in-depth into uh, some of these markets here as we're working towards the end of the year. So look forward to that conversation with uh, Brian Split coming up here in just a little while. Also, I want to listen back to uh, part of a recent conversation I had on AOA, Agriculture of America, our uh, sister program with Paul Shadegg with Farmers National Company, looking at land values and interest rates and much more. And we're going to listen to uh, part of that conversation coming up in segment two here today. So uh, stay tuned for that. It was really a good uh, conversation here just uh, about a week or so ago. And I want to make sure you're able to hear that here on Market Talk as well. First up, though, let's get a few uh, market thoughts and analysis from Tuesday's trade with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX. Arlen joined me around uh, the midday hour on Tuesday as we saw uh, wheat and corn trading higher, beans under some pressure. We also talked about the CPI data that came out, the Consumer Price Index out on Tuesday, uh, the first wave of some of our economic data here this week. And uh, Arlen shares his thoughts on what he saw with those numbers, if there was anything of concern or note. Uh, we got the Fed meeting this week as well. And we touch a livestock trade where it's kind of a mixed bag. Are we trying to find some footing finally in this cattle market? And we go through all of that and more with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX, starting with his thoughts in the grain trade and how it feels kind of algorithmic computer type driven on the day Tuesday. Here's what he has to say. Yeah, it seems to be a lot of that going on right now. And keep in mind that these uh, funds don't make money in a stagnant market. So if it's stagnant, they're going to find a way to move the market with their algos. They can do that rather easily. As we look at the wheat market, that's where we've seen the biggest moves, the biggest swings and a huge drop yesterday. And today we bring it all back. And basically, it comes down to we failed to find any selling interest below yesterday's low. So rather than sit there, they're taking it back the other direction. 
Uh, you can find some stories out there that are supportive, but those same stories were pretty much there yesterday. Good chance that we've got China perhaps back in sniffing around for some supplies that may be behind it. We'll find out after the fact on that. Um, but other than that, this looks largely to be um, the algos taking it higher since they couldn't take it at lower. I know we got the consumer price index data out Tuesday morning. We'll have more economic data out later this week, plus the Fed meeting. Any thoughts for you on the CPI data and some of the impact on the outside markets today? Well, the interesting thing on the CPI data that came out showing inflation at the consumer level, tomorrow we'll get inflation at the producer level and then retail sales on Thursday. But basically came in as expected with the exception of a little bit of just a tad hotter for the nearby headline number month on month. But overall, it shows that falling energy prices were largely offset in the data by higher prices for shelter, transportation, medical services, and used vehicles. And the used vehicles one is interesting because that suggests that uh, people are backing away from buying new vehicles and they're looking for maybe a, uh, an older model that they can purchase. So maybe a, a negative sign for the economy. But the shelter, the transportation costs, again, seem to be evidence of that core inflation, particularly the super core inflation, being a concern going forward that the Fed has talked about being a problem for inflation, arguing for maybe a later pivot in their policy than what Wall Street had hoped, although Wall Street's absorbed the news fairly well. Over in the livestock trade, cattle and hogs, kind of a mixed bag on Tuesday. Uh, cash cattle country looking pretty quiet so far. Maybe uh, this cattle market, at least, is, is trying to find some footing here, find support potentially after all the volatility. I don't know. Your thoughts uh, in this protein sector overall here today? Yeah, once again, at another level, trying to decide, okay, have we finally priced in the adjustments that we're seeing to supplies. Uh, this week's show list counted smaller than last week, and that's given rise to some ideas of maybe some steadyish cash trade later this week after five weeks of lower cash trade. So maybe something in the 170, 171 area in the Southern Plains. Now, back to the supply situation. Do note that last Friday's WASDE crop report it also has livestock data in it, and it saw an upward revision to their 2024 beef production estimate following three months of bigger than expected placements in the feedlots in record heavy carcass weight. So they upped their 2024 forecast by 180 million pounds, which is at 26.1 billion pounds for 2024. That's up 1.6 billion from their low water mark in July. That's like adding equivalent of three weeks of production to their annual estimate. That's a huge shift, one that the lower markets had not had sniffed out probably before USDA had showed it in their numbers, combined with an increase in imports and decrease in exports. 2024 domestic supply now down just a 3% versus the current year, which is a much smaller shrinkage for next year than what we originally had been pricing in. And once again, that is comments from our midday commentary with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX, looking at Tuesday's market trade action. Well, new data from the American Farm Bureau Federation shows that H-2A usage reached new highs in fiscal year 2023. The market intel report says that comes despite an increase in the adverse effect wage rate, which outpaced the hourly wage growth rate of all private employees. 
Now, this increase in both demand for workers and wage rate continues to put a stress on the bottom lines of farmers and ranchers. The data shows the total number of certified H-2A positions at 378,513. That's an increase of 2% over fiscal year 2022. While this is a slower rate of increase than in years past, the number of positions certified is still up by more than 100,000 workers compared to fiscal year 2020. Now, this is coupled with a nearly 19% increase in the required wage rate since fiscal year 2020, causing labor to be one of the costliest aspects of doing business for farmers and ranchers. Now, American Farm Bureau Federation President Zippy Duvall says, quote, this data shows how important and urgent it is that we get a workable fix for the H-2A program and the adverse effect wage rate, end quote. All right, coming up next here, we'll look at markets later in the show with Brian Split from agmarket.net. But first, we want to listen back to a recent conversation I had about farmland values, interest rates, and more with Paul Shadegg from Farmers National Company. We'll get to that coming up here on the way after the break here on Market Talk. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Bringing you the ag information you need. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk. Thanks for sticking with us here on the program today. Again, uh, the market trade action, uh, kind of a mixed bag. We basically reversed what we did on Monday's trade with the soy complex under some pressure. Wheat and corn doing their best to get back what uh, they lost, or at least some of what they lost on the day Monday. And uh, a mixed day in livestock, too. We're going to talk markets coming up here a little bit later on with Brian Split from agmarket.net. But first up, though, as we near the end of the year, I had a conversation uh, just uh, a week or so ago with Paul Shadegg from Farmers National Company about where things stand in terms of farmland values, interest rates, et cetera. You know, we continue to see the record land sales in parts of the Midwest and, of course, uh, a lot of competition out there for good farm ground. And, you know, when you near the end of the year, a lot of... Uh, conversations with bankers and uh, squaring up the books and deciding uh, if you want to make some land purchases or look at uh, renting some ground, et cetera, et cetera. Well, had a great conversation with Paul uh, here on Agriculture of America, our sister program that I host on many great radio stations here just uh, last week. And want to play that interview back for you here, part of it anyway. Uh, great discussion looking at uh, some of the different factors in front of us in terms of land values and more. So here is that interview with Paul Shadegg from Farmers National Company. I keep seeing a lot of the headlines, a lot of these record farmland sales in Iowa, and Illinois, Missouri, etc. Seeing big ones in the Dakotas too and just a continued environment where we're seeing a lot of money being spent on on farmland, good quality farmland out there here across the country this year and that of course amid a high interest rate environment and more uh, paul just talk about kind of overall how things stand here as we near the end of the year in terms of farmland values in the real estate market yeah jesse when we look at the results that we're seeing across the, the midwest primarily you know when you're talking iowa eastern nebraska illinois indiana um, the one word to describe it is resiliency. 
and uh, you know the especially for high quality land and and of course the the higher sales definitely get the press but but overall we're seeing a very strong land market continuing we are seeing on the back side of that we're seeing some uh some farms that are are struggling to meet reserves at auctions that have any kind of issues drainage issues uh drought areas things like that that those those farms are definitely being discounted a little bit but but overall um, a very strong land market in spite of those things that you mentioned with interest rates. You know, we've had some pretty good uh, declining commodity markets. And uh, and that that is what I, I've said the last couple of years, that that has been a primary driver. And it has not had the effect yet. And, and we'll probably see it if, if it continues into the first of the year. That's a great point you bring up. I know there's uh, been reports in recent days about net farm incomes being lower and uh, from USDA has uh, brought out those details. And so to your point about the markets and, and more kind of driving things, you know, with net farm income, maybe moving a little lower, still at high levels, though, that's a great point you raise as we head into next year. You know, could that possibly slow down some of the farmland buying, Paul? Yeah, I think we have to look at that with our eyes wide open. Uh, you know, the the Kansas City Fed put out their uh, their banking report for the third quarter, and and one thing that I watch there is where are producers at in the their equity position, and that has narrowed over the last twelve months quite a bit, and and we continue to see that narrow, and then also an increase in lending, and what that has shown us is that. You know, these these operators have been using a lot of cash to buy land, to make capital improvements and, and use it for operating. And we're starting to see them go to the bank more often. And what that does is that will eventually affect net farm income because that's just another expense of interest that they have to incur. And so uh, definitely something that, that we want to look at. But when we look at the overall ag economy is still pretty strong. Mm -hmm. And uh, and again, that that word resiliency, it, it, sometimes it amazes me that, uh, that some of these land values are staying as strong as they are. As producers are maybe looking at land sales coming up here before the end of the year or the early part of next year, they're having simultaneously those conversations with their bankers and more and looking at their overall bottom line. Paul, what would you say to folks? What are some things they need to keep in mind here as they're looking at the ag real estate market the next couple of months ahead. Yeah, it, it's very active. We went through a, kind of a slow period in the summer uh, and then August started to ramp up and we started to see some pretty good sales. We had a record uh, year or a record month in September and October and our November we're just closing out right now, but it also was very strong pretty typical to what we would see on average or, or actually a little above average. But when uh, buyers that are out there looking to buy land, there, there's going to be some li limited amounts of listings to choose from. And then from the seller's side, you know, there, we've had a lot of sellers that said, well, I really want to sell at this at these record values. And then they talk to their accountant and, and decide what they're going to have to pay in capital gains tax. And there are some of those that have decided, you know, I think I'll hang on to this land instead of selling it and paying the tax. And so there's there's a couple different uh, 
ways to look at things and uh, from the buyers and the, and the sellers standpoint as we get to the end of the year. And I know too, uh, part of, you know, we get to the end of the year tax season, but also uh, a lot of farm transitions can happen around this time of year. And I know that's another piece of this land puzzle, so to speak as well, Paul. Yeah, absolutely, Jesse. That that generational transfer of wealth or generational transfer of land, however you want to look at it, uh, it, it is definitely happening. And the the uh, neat part about that process that I've experienced here in the last couple of years is that we've had a lot of those individuals that were didn't have a strong attachment to the farm. Maybe it was their grandparents' farm. And we're seeing some of that kind of come back. There are some of them, there, there are some individuals that have decided that, you know, land has been a very good asset to own over the last 25 years. And, you know, even though interest rates are high and the stock market is not all that great, they, they look at uh, how land can be an, a good asset to own and they have a little bit of attachment there and, and they're hanging on to it. And that is, that's kind of helping drive this limited supply that's available. Once again, good stuff there with Paul Shadegg from Farmers National Company, a recent conversation I had with him on Agriculture of America. They have a lot of great resources available. Just go to FarmersNational.com for more information. Well, adverse weather in Brazil is reducing yields, but the country is still expected to produce a record soybean crop. Joanna Colusi with the Department of Agricultural and Consumer Economics at the University of Illinois says dry weather looks to reduce the bean crop by around 280 million bushels. Some industry experts, they believe a record crop is still possible, others not anymore. Conab, the national supply company of Brazil, still predicts a record 162 million metric ton or 5.9 billion bushel soybean crop this year, about 250 million more than last year. Colusi says the increase would be due to planted area 3% higher, now expected at more than 111 million acres. All predictions on yields are difficult due to what she calls a super El Nino. After three consecutive growing seasons under La Nina influence, this crop season is being very different. Generally speaking, the effects of El Nino are the opposite from La Nina for South America. That means dry weather in north and central Brazil with more rain in Argentina and southern Brazil. According to Calusi and Mato Grosso, the dry weather forced replanting in some areas. She says the 23-24 planting season continues behind last year's pace of 86%, only 75% complete as of the end of November. And the current pace was the lowest for the period since 2019-20 crop season. Calusi says the delay in soybean planting also has another impact, the safrina or second crop corn, which is about 70% of Brazilian corn production. Many farmers could dismiss planting corn in the second season due to the high climate risk. The window to plant corn as a second season is very short in Brazil because of the dry season in the center west that usually starts in middle April. That means that farmers, they should be able to plant the safrinha in ideal conditions in January and February. Production is expected to be down by 10% according to Conab at 119 million metric tons or 4.6 billion bushels due to lower yields and a 5% acreage decrease to 51 million. But again, this number can change if more farmers decide don't plant safrinha. 
And once again, that is Joanna Calusi with the Department of Agricultural and Consumer Economics at the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign. All right, we're going to talk about Tuesday's market trade action and uh, where these markets are looking to head towards the end of the year. We'll be joined by Brian Split from agmarket.net on the way right after this. Your local FS is member-owned, and that means when you buy our flagship brands like FS Envision and FS High Soy, you're actually buying seed from yourself. And you wouldn't sell yourself anything but the best, would you? In field after field, FS brands are out yielding the competition. Talk to your local FS crop specialist about Envision corn or high soy soybean seed today. At harvest, you'll be glad you did. Envision and high soy are available exclusively at your local FS member company. Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Well, as we wrapped up the trade action on Tuesday, we kind of flipped the script, so to speak, on Monday's trade. Wheat rallied, corn was pulled a little bit higher thanks to wheat being double digits higher, and soybeans gave back some of what we gained on Monday's trade. Let's talk about what we're seeing currently in this market. Joining us for analysis, we welcome in Brian Split with agmarket.net here to the show today. Brian, great to have you back on the program. Thanks for joining us. And yeah, like I said, kind of just flip the script on Monday's trade and and really kind of, you know, almost feels like we're back to where we were to start the week in corn, soybeans, and wheat. Just kind of a, an interesting type of trade on Tuesday, Brian. Yeah, Jesse, this was the definition of turnaround Tuesday. Uh, Monday, we had very aggressive buying in soybeans and very aggressive selling in wheat and a very quiet lower market in corn. Uh, today, we had corn slightly higher on the heels of wheat, recovering nearly all of yesterday's losses and beans were down. So uh, you got to wonder if after the uh, the strong gains today, if maybe we don't see uh, an export sales announcement of some wheat to China again. Um, very possible just based on the sheer uh, magnitude of today's gains. Uh, and then that sets you up for a little buy the rumor, sell the fact. Uh, if we do see that hit headline hit tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. that China purchased some wheat, maybe they'll try to rally on the news and then uh, sell off from there. Uh, we've got the uh, bean market very sensitive to South American weather. And, um, you know, it really depends on which weather group you follow and whether they put more emphasis on the GFS or the European models. Uh, we do know that over the next week or so, it's going to be dry in Mato Grosso, and that's where they really need rain. Uh, but that's where the, uh, the discussion comes in as we get to late month. Uh, talk about how the MJO is going to evolve and whether that's going to bring in this really uh, this this pattern shift towards the more monsoonal rains, which is what we typically would see in Brazil this time of year. And if those rains show up and there is a major pattern shift, then we've already likely seen the highs uh, for this particular bean move. But if it disappoints the way some of the recent forecasts have, uh, we may need to go look at the highs and maybe make some new highs. So uh, I don't know which weather guy is going to be right, but it's very reminiscent of June domestically where we had rain in the forecast but it was always in that extended part of the forecast. And then as that day would creep up, it would just kind of dissipate. Uh, and, and so we really started that strong bull market in June. But when the rains finally verified, it was, it was, that was it, right? We just rolled over aggressively. So I, I tend to think it's going to be something similar 
where as long as the, uh, the forecast continues to disappoint, we're going to stay supported. But if we do get that pattern shift, you've got a lot of downside potential in beans. I feel like we're getting to a point on the calendar, Brian, and you can talk to us about this as you've kind of kept an eye on these charts here throughout the grain and oilseed trade. Um, a, a lot of computer type algo trading off some of those headlines and, and things you noted like the export sales and the weather. And, and really just it, it feels like we're getting to that point of the year, that time of the year where that holiday malaise could start to set in. And we really just kind of have to watch some of that computer type trading, uh, trading off chart signals and more. Do you, do you believe that's kind of the case? Are we are we kind of already there, Brian? Yeah, I mean, it, uh, I know how I feel inside, and I'm already in holiday mode. So if that's the case for everybody, then we may be there already. But uh, that's the, the way that the market is going to behave when you get to holiday trade. Uh, when there's less participants, the computers take over, and they do trade very technical. So if you're kind of in tune with what the market's looking at and the levels that it's trading off of, uh, you could do very well late in the year if you're if you're trading alongside the algos and you're in tune with what they're doing. Um, it can be very quiet at times when there's not a lot going on if there's no news and there's not a lot to move the market. But also, it can be very volatile when there's uh, less participants, less liquidity. And if a, if a algo comes in here and says, "I'm going to buy," you know. 2,000 contracts of soybeans, well, in holiday trade, if it's thin, then it's going to move the market more than it would in a, in a typical day. Uh, so just be mindful. Don't go to sleep because it's the holiday type trade. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned earlier, you're worried about maybe some downside risk in, in soybeans, potentially, depending on the weather here. So I wonder, as we get into some of that holiday trade, if there's still folks that need to or want to make some soybean sales here before the end of the year, I'd have to think that some risk management definitely in order in that soybean market, just with some of that added potential of uh, downside risk out there. Talk about what you're seeing on the soybean charts right now, Brian. Yeah, I mean, you look at the gains that we had uh, up to the night session into this morning. That um, was a retracement of, of just about 50% of the whole break from the November high to the December low. It only took about four sessions to do that. Uh, so that was a pretty key spot that we reversed off of on uh, what looks to me like the idea that some of the signals are coming in a little bit uh, stronger for some of the, the, the change in the MJO uh, to get those monsoonal rains. Uh, so we went to a 50% retracement. Your 100-day and your 20-day moving average were about $0.03 cents below the overnight high, so we kind of jabbed through that a little bit. Uh, this 200-day moving average has been a pivot point, and it's right around the 1320 area. The, the exact price is going to move a little bit day-to-day, -day, but uh, I think that's going to be a, a, a signal where if we're back below the 20-day, uh, that suggests that the interpretation of the weather models, I should say the 200-day, sorry, uh, that the interpretation of the weather models is a little bit more bearish. Um, I am still big picture looking for a return to the fall low, the October low in that 1250 area. Uh, I do think if you see that um, sometime in the next 30 days, that that is going to be a tremendous buying opportunity. Uh, so I'm keeping my eyes out for that. Uh, I'm trying to get not get stuck in a position here either. I mean, when you think about Jan Beans around, let's say, 1330, you're what, maybe uh, uh, 70 cents off of the low. It's, it's October low, and you're uh, maybe about 60, 70 cents off of the high. So you're really mid-range. So you got to be careful taking an aggressive stance because the, uh, you know, the opportunity for the market to go up 50 to 60 cents is – 
just as equal as the market to go down 50 to 60 cents. So I'm really trying to stay away from uh, positions and not get married to them, uh, trading off some of the levels. But as far as hedging goes, I mean, hedging should be done whenever it needs to be done. Um, and so when you get a rally uh, like we've seen over the last couple of sessions on a, another short-term uh, weather scare, it's a good time to layer some puts under the market, especially if you're still feeling friendly and you're looking for the market to continue to go up to make those sales, having puts at some predetermined levels. And again, we just identified the 200 days important. So having a put at that strike price, probably not a bad idea if you're going to sit on the physical for a little bit longer. And vice versa, if you come in here and you say, you know what, I want to sell some beans, I want to stop the interest on this money, uh, I want to get some cash before the end of the year, whatever your reasoning is, um, coming in and owning some call spreads in March, not a bad idea. If you want to have some participation in beans in case the South American weather continues to flare up a little bit over the next couple months. Same thought on the corn market here. Corn, I think a lot of farmers kind of maybe their hand got forced with that D's contract potentially, and we maybe saw some farmers selling or at least uh, probably what we're going to see before the calendar flips to 24 maybe in, in many cases when we had options expiration throw it in there. But I, I wonder your thoughts, what you're seeing on the charts here in the corn market. I have to think that at this point those bin doors are pretty locked up, Brian. Yeah, so I, I agree with that. Um, and we know that just based on the size of the commercial short and the commitment of trade that um, the grain is in the producer's hands. The commercial does not own the, the corn yet. Um, so their commercial short is, is a very small position. It's the smallest it's been since 2013, which was the year after the drought. And um, so I, I think you may get some short-term basis opportunities here and there, depending on where you are geographically. But the sentiment that I'm hearing from the commercial guys is that they don't want to bid up too aggressively for it because they do believe there's a wall of corn that's going to come available to the market as the calendar turns. Um, so you're going to have a lot of producers that are waiting until the new year for tax implications, uh, waiting to the new year, and they're going to be looking at making some sales to pay, uh, whether it's fertilizer or seed or you know cover some of their costs for, for the upcoming growing season. Um, and so with that being said, it's hard to imagine a ton of upside uh, unless there's something that fundamentally changes on the balance sheet. Um, that could potentially come in January. That's our final production number. So we're going to get the final yield until the USDA decides to change it a year and a half from now. Um, we'll get uh, the final acreage numbers. We're going to get a quarterly stock report, which is, goes a long way to imply the first quarter usage. Uh, so there's an awful lot going on in this report that could potentially shift the market one direction or the other. There's been a lot of uh, uh, comparisons this year to 2013 from a crop year. It's an analog year. It's behaved very similarly. And I will tell you that the actual low for the year on the 2013 crop was made in January of 14 on that report. We made a new low for the move, a new contract low. And then we turned around and finished sharply higher on the day. And then that was it. And then it started to rally into the April, May timeframe. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if corn traded sideways to sloppily lower uh, and maybe made a low in January around that report. Well, once again, that's Brian Split with AgMarket.net joining us here for analysis today. We'll continue the conversation coming up after the break. 
few of the closing numbers in the trade on Tuesday. December corn up two, 462 and a half. March up three and three quarters, 485 and a quarter. Soybeans for January down 12 and a quarter, 1323 and three quarters. March down 10 and a half, 1342 and three quarters. January bean meal down 290 a ton, 41030. January bean oil down 69 points, 5042. March Chicago wheat 16 higher, 625 and a half. March KC wheat up 24 and a half, 656 and three quarters. Spring wheat for March up 17 to three quarters, 729 and a half. December live cattle up 72, 167.70. February up 70, 168.60. January feeders up 130, 219.25. December hogs down 42, 67.82. February hogs 92 higher, 68.25. Back with more on Market Talk right after this. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. We are joined today by Brian Split from agmarket.net for market analysis. Brian, let's go over to the cattle markets, and the cattle have been extremely volatile. It's no secret. A lot of folks are scratching their heads, wondering uh, what is happening in this cattle trade. A lot of fund money feels like it's been getting out of cattle here in in big waves here the last few weeks as you look at charts on both the uh, fats and feeders right now i guess my question to you is are, are we possibly potentially finding uh, some support here in this cattle market what are you seeing right now yeah we've had three good days um march feeders today went and hit their downtrend so this liquidation event in feeders has actually been pretty orderly. The moves have been really big, but if you look at it on a chart, it's in a, it's in a very nice downward trending channel. Uh, we hit the upper end of that channel, so that's the downtrend from the move on the highs this morning and then backed off a little bit, went negative briefly, but we actually were able to close back up uh, higher on the day and not all the way at the highs, but it, was a, it wasn't a horrible close. So I think if we could get through the downtrend, that might be the first indicator that we're trying to make a low. Um, the continuous chart offers some clues, and I'll tell you that this looks a lot like 2014 on the continuous feeder chart. Uh, in 2014, it was about a $52 break uh, from high to the first major swing low before we got a good rally again that lasted about four months. And I think our break thus far has been about 48, so very close. Uh, if we could see the front month contract get down to about 205, 206, uh, that would be about the same scope of break. And then also something interesting is that when we had that move in 2014, we bottomed out around the 20-month moving average. And that 20-month moving average currently is in that 205 area. So um, I'm thinking maybe we get one last flush lower on some of the recent bottom pickers, thinking that this could be the low uh, go a couple bucks lower than we've already been and then see that be the low. And I wouldn't be surprised to do it in the next couple of weeks and then see buying come in uh, in the cattle market in the, as the calendar turns to 2024. Not very often you see the funds short feeder cattle, and they definitely don't maintain a short position in feeders for very long. Good thoughts to think about. How about that hog trade too? Anything you're seeing on the charts there? I just Hogs have been pretty dismal, it feels like to me, and have largely – from what I could tell, I've kind of followed 
cattle to some degree on, you know, if cattle go sharply higher, hogs go with it for a day or lower, they'll go lower, et cetera. Anything you're seeing notes in that hog trade at all right now, Brian? Yeah, hogs are in a downward trending channel as well. It's a little bit bigger of a channel, but less aggressive as far as the angle of descent. So we're at the low end of that channel. Uh, hard to initiate a, a short position here in hogs. I'd like to see if they'd recover a little bit more. Uh, I think we're trying to work through the pressure from the, the sentiment out of China that they've got too many hogs over there. And there's been some liquidation. And, and maybe that's something that needs to occur to make a good strong low in the hog market is see China liquidate uh, and then look at some tighter numbers moving forward in the future. So uh, I'm optimistic about hogs, uh, you know, at, at current levels. Uh, I, know, I don't know that I would say I'm outright bullish, but we're back down to some support. We're back down to the lower channel and, uh, you know, some buying could kick in at any time. The last rally that we had did go up and fill a gap. Uh, and then we came back down after filling that gap. So if we could get back through that high that was made, I think that would go a long way to bring in some more technical buying. But uh, I don't think that's going to happen until the news from, from China and, and the liquidation of some of their herd uh, is, is shaken out through the market. Let's wrap with uh, the economy and, and inflation and the dollar, et cetera. I know we got a lot of economic data out this week. The CPI came out Tuesday morning. It was a little bit hotter than some folks expected, but not really that bad. Um, we got the PPI Wednesday. We got the Fed meeting as well. Any notes for you? Anything you're keeping a close eye on in some of the uh, the financial markets, energy markets, et cetera, Brian? Yeah, you know, there's been some uh, questions lately about when should I or should I be locking in my fuel needs. Um, the crude oil market just took out some support again today. It's been failing at the 200-day moving average. Uh, heating oil, which is your diesel fuel proxy, took out its 200-day moving average. That has uh, a measurement in the March heating oil contract. Uh, I believe down to about 239 is what the, uh, the measured objective would be of the last double top. Uh, so it doesn't look like it's time to quite yet. But I do think as you see crude oil start approaching the low to mid-60s, uh, if we do come down another few bucks, that seems to be an area that's been value since the beginning of the year. Um, so I think you're going to look at, uh, at buyers emerging there again. We still need to ref refill part of our strategic reserves. Uh, we did a little bit of, of that uh, at some higher levels. And, and so I would like to think that the administration is going to continue to do that if we uh, go back and, and get back to what their original objective was, which was between about what I think 65 and 69 was their initial target. So we're approaching that again. And hopefully if we see that again, uh, because we had a funding issue early in the year, right? Government shutdown. So I think maybe that was why they couldn't come in and refill the reserves where, where at the prices they said they would. Now that we're past that, hopefully they'll take some more aggressive action at those price levels. Um, equity market has just been astounding to me. And you look at Dow futures, we're within a few hundred points of the record high. Um, so it just seems like the, there's just been a mad dash by managed money to come in and own equities. Um, the buying that we've seen over the last couple of weeks has been some record-breaking type buying from the funds. And uh, that may continue to the end of the year, but I don't know I, why the stock market is up at these levels. It seems like uh, you know there's enough concerns around uh, out there about the economy. And it's going to be very hard for the Fed to start lowering interest rates with equities where they are. Um, so unless there's some kind of economic data that says that uh, we need to, 
Um, I, I think interest rates are going to continue to remain elevated right now. And, and the idea that we need to see interest rate cuts early in 2024, I think has to be alleviated by, by how the stock market's performing. Brian Split with agmarket.net. Always good to catch up with you, sir. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks, Jesse. Have a good one. Once again, Brian Split with agmarket.net. Find them very easily online at agmarket.net or give them a call 844-4-AG-MARKET. We are out of time here today on Market Talk. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. Your local FS is member-owned, and that means when you buy our flagship brands like FS Envision and FS High Soy, you're actually buying seed from yourself. And you wouldn't sell yourself anything but the best, would you? In field after field, FS brands are out-yielding the competition. Talk to your local FS crop specialist about Envision corn or High Soy soybean seed today. At harvest, you'll be glad you did. Envision and High Soy are available exclusively at your local FS member company. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube.